Welcome to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast, where we explore the conscious use of technology. Listen in to hear thought leaders and other guests discuss the human relationship with technology and learning to thrive in the digital era. Hosted by the author of the international best-selling digital self-mastery series and being at work, Dr. Heidi Forbes Usta. Welcome back to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast. Today, I am so excited to share with you my guest, Josh Trent, who is the founder of Wellness Force and the host of Wellness Force Radio Podcast. As a health and wellness influencer and technology consultant, Josh has spent the last 14 years discovering the physical and emotional intelligence for humans to thrive in our modern world. Now that is a big task. Welcome, Josh. Thank you so much, Heidi. This is going to be great. I've been so looking forward. Yeah, no, we, we have been having so much fun. I, Josh and I were just uh, in at CES together. So for those of you who don't know what CES is, it's like the biggest chaos in the world of consumer electronics show Vegas style. It's, you know, it's everything you can imagine times 10. Extremely overwhelming, but a fascinating experience of understanding what's out there, what's happening in the space, and applying it in practice right while you're there. So with that in mind, I would love to ask you, Josh, what were your favorite takeaways from CES this year? That's such a great question because it's fresh in my mind. It was literally like 72 hours ago. And I'm thinking about what, you know, eating, moving and sleeping are the things that were really big at CES this year. I found that sleep was a big focus. I don't know if it was because of Ariana Huffington's work with Under Armour last year on the main stage, but this year it was like really sleep focused. And that was what was exciting to me, actually, because with wellness, we know how powerful sleep can be. And so sleep tracking, sleep beds, sleep wearables, uh, sleep score, which I can talk about, which is this new device where you don't actually wear it. It monitors your room based on sound. So for me, the big takeaway was looks like America's tired. <laughs> that was kind of a really big takeaway. But in, in a reflective way, it's, it's actually inspiring to see that people are starting to care more about these basic human things that now a lot of tech companies can make money in and serve the human condition. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you that it was, it was definitely the, the, uh, the CES for the big nap, as some people referred to it. Yes, that's a good way to say it. Yeah. You know, there were a lot of yeah. places to, uh, test out devices to take that little power nap. So it was, uh, pretty cool in that way. I thought so. One of the things that, that I like to do with, with my work is, and because we're talking about our relationship with technology is to think about the fact that, you know, not only do we need to recharge, but so do our devices. And I think that was something that there was so many different ways that those pieces integrated too at CES. Did you notice that? There was just so many different ways to get power, to share power, to, yeah. to sort of log on, log off. This was one of the first years that people actually talked openly and honestly about sharing data as well. You know, sharing power, sharing data, the way that APIs talk to one another and how that really equates to what I believe is coming in our lifetime, which is the dream dashboard. Okay. Anything you could imagine where everything's truly shared from biometrics to activity to anything else that was inspiring to me. And yes, there was a ton of people sharing power too. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that sharing power is actually one of those very funny things that at any tech conference, because people are so reliant on their devices, some of those gr the greatest serendipitous conversations happen while you're standing around a power station just reloading. <laughs> so it's sort of that, <laughs> yeah. that funny thing. Besides sleep, what else did you find that was really inspiring? Were there any particular speakers that really just stood out to you? 
Well, I'm, I'm partial because I moderated a panel called Game Changers at the FitTech Summit. It was one of these beginning, it was the first panel in the morning, and I actually enjoyed the real candid dialogue. I think in the tech sector, it can be a little bit stifling if left unchecked, and so I think emotional intelligence is just as important as the technological education when it comes to the tech sector. Uh, because it can be a very dry subject. So what was inspiring to me, what I was most stoked on, is that these three gentlemen that were on the stage, uh, Brent from Level, uh, breath acetone measurement device, uh, Healby, which is Artem from, uh, from Russia, actually a company in Russia, and then Jonathan from Life Fuels, which is a water bottle that dispenses technology and tracks your beverage intake. And I thought just the dialogue about, hey, let's really share with one another and let's all come together so we can create this ecosystem that was most inspiring to me. I don't, I didn't really follow a lot of the other conversations because I was on the floor interviewing people. But I think right now people are finally leaning into the fact that in order for global wellness to thrive, we have to share our data with one another and we get to work together instead of just siloing out and hiding out in our little, you know, perspective corners where we're just doing one thing and not sharing that with other people. So inspiring to me was the fact that people were sharing. There was a lot of open dialogue this year around how we can truly collaborate with one another, regardless of if you're in fitness or, or, or health or any other piece of, of how technology can help us. Yeah, I mean, I think absolutely the sharing piece was pretty powerful and just being able to, like you were doing, walking around on the show floor and and interviewing people and being able to share that right away out in the podcast world. I think just there was a lot of podcasters I met there that were doing, you know, live recordings right on the spot. Did you find people were really receptive to that or did you have some sort of mixed feelings on well, we, so our team actually was really proactive. We had scheduled the interviews a week out. So we said, Hey, we're going to come by for 15 minutes. We're going to do a minute on camera. So they kind of knew we were going to be there, but it was really cool to just let serendipity unfold as well. And I think people listening can relate, you know, you can plan in one hand and then you can live in the moment in the other. And so that's what I found there was just people wanted to talk about what they did, you know, what their company's about, how they're serving the human condition through tech. And that, that was the most um, really the exciting thing for me was that most people wanted to talk. You know, they're at these booths for three days and they're saying their story over and over and over again. But I got them fresh. I got them on that first day, that Tuesday to where it really came off natural. And I think um, I think that was just the best thing to understand is that you can't fake it when it comes to tech. You can fake it for a while. But eventually, the, the truth is undefeated. You know, the, the, the cream will rise to the top because either users will like your device or they won't. You know, when we're talking about devices and well-being, what did you use for yourself in order to survive CES? I mean, for people's perspective <laughs> of CES, yeah. you know, it's probably one of the most unhealthy environments. You know, yes, you put in a lot of steps, that's for sure. Um, yeah. And that can either be a good thing or a bad thing. But um, it's long days, recirculated air, walking through casinos that are smoky. What did you use to sort of get you through that space? So for me, I used, I've been using the Aura Ring for, gosh, almost a year now. And it was just this really great indicator for me that I knew by the end of day two that if I didn't go to bed and I actually felt it, but I was looking at the quality of my sleep decline and I was watching my skin temperature rise over the past 48 hours. And it makes sense because like you said, we're running around, we're having multiple conversations, we're in a room that's, there's no, you know, no sunshine, everything's kind of stacked against us. From a behavioral standpoint. And so for me, it was just a clean indicator to by the third day, get to bed. I think I went to bed at nine o'clock, slept like 10 hours. I actually took some, some lingual melatonin just to give me like an extra deep sleep. 
uh, deep sleep for me is big. If I don't sleep enough, then uh, bad things happen. I'm 37 years old. Okay, I can't sleep. I can't have the lifestyle without sleep that I did before. So that was how I that was how I recovered. That was how I recharged was getting myself to bed and, and really looking at, whoa, this is more serious than I thought it was because as my body temperature rises, that means that my body is fighting off something. So I may have picked up something there, but I got that little feedback. I got that little mirror of mindfulness from the device. So that was really interesting. That's awesome. And that's one thing that I was really excited about. I didn't go to CES last year, but the year before was right after I'd done my dissertation work with wearables. And just seeing the difference in two years for the potential of the devices, the user experience of them was so much more seamless. It's, it's really exciting to see all of that stuff happening. And it's really, there's still plenty of stuff that's sort of designed for engineers and by engineers, but we're moving. Anyway. Don't you also feel like from a UI UX perspective, like the true experience of the technology in the past, it may have been more tech focused. And I think the part that I'm really excited about is that technology becoming more humanized now. People are more interested in the story and the narrative and what this actually means at the you know emotional level to the end user. Because I think for a long time, you know, maybe since 2013 is when I first heard about CES and, and started looking at it. It was really device focused back then. I think in just five years, people are really now more interested in what does this mean to the human and how do we tell that story effectively to get our device out there, to, to make it something for sustainable behavior change? Absolutely. And even, you know, some of the stuff that's more techy on the, the VR, AI, sort of the virtual reality and augmented, even those really had much more of a human impact focus, it seemed like. it was it, There were still plenty of things that were about gaming and, and yes. bells and whistles, but... A lot of it really just looked at improving people's lives and helping them. You know, it was fascinating. There was a company called, I don't know if you saw them on the floor, but they were called Black Box and they were doing augmented reality for exercise. So people that might be bored in a gym, they can put on a headset and they can have, you know, weekly touch points for accountability on their workouts, you know, going into a, a castle and working out, you know, in, in a castle through augmented reality. So I think that's really cool. You know, the gaming world, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. I think sometimes people forget about this, that video games and actually professional video game players these are millions and hundreds of millions of people across the world that play video games. I might not love video games at my age, <laughs> but I can respect the fact that this is an industry where they still get to be active too. Well, they still get to be healthy too. Absolutely. And I think that what's really exciting in the gaming space is that a lot of those technologies that come from the gaming space, just like the things that used to be developed for, you know, for sci-fi films are finally finding applications in the real world where they're improving our lives. So it may start as something that's a gaming concept, but, you know, it's, for example, using a virtual reality to help develop empathy around sort of a philanthropic endeavor or understanding how the, the coral reefs are changing or things like that, where yeah. they're connecting the dots to, to reality and to real things, but helping you sort of emotionally get attached to them in a different way. That's such a great point. I haven't thought about that yet. That's a really good point. Yeah. So I think there's some great opportunities. And, and I, I, you know, I was listening to some of your podcasts before we spoke today. One of them that really just struck me was, you know, understanding your, your blood and, you know, and understanding your sleep. All of these things were initially, some of the technologies that are being used for those were initially designed in a gaming environment or in a VR environment. And now we're able to use them to really understand what's going on inside of our bodies and actually, you know, can potentially go on a journey to 
explore them and visually see what's happening yeah. through a VR environment. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, I think um, biomarkers are another piece of how we can just have what I like to call mirrors of mindfulness. That's really what technology devices for health and wellness are, right? It's just a little mirror of how you're showing up in your life and are you keeping the promises to yourself that you've created around your activity and blood doesn't lie. I mean, there's a reason why we get annual checkups, right? You go to your doctor and they do a panel. Well, you know, with citizen scientists and people that are really heavily involved in quantified self, finding that your vitamin D is low is not something you would traditionally check unless you wanted to get a health and wellness performance panel. So if somebody's listening and they get their regular checkup, just know that your your physician's not necessarily going to test the biomarkers in your body that are more health and wellness focused for performance, right? For longevity. And there's still some ambiguity, Heidi, between what the medical community deems are the best standards for these biomarkers, whether it's C-reactive protein or vitamin D or even HDL, LDL. You know, the jury's still out on, on where that exists on a healthy spectrum as well. But what we can't see over time when we start tracking things, when we start quantifying things is trends and trends, you know, regardless of healthy parameters, whatever the medical community deems healthy or the quantified self community deems healthy trends don't lie. So if you're trending in a great direction, well then keep doing what you're doing, but you won't know you're trending unless you monitor your data, unless you manage your data. And so I think that's the beautiful thing about technology. I think, you know, five years ago when I strapped on a Fitbit, I actually talked smack about it. I was with a, a woman at the time we were dating and she started wearing this Fitbit and I was like making fun of her. I'm like, what does this even matter? Why would you even want to wear a device? Just walk more, just walk more. Cause I'd come from this health and fitness background, uh, 10 years in gyms and, you know, helping tons of people lose weight in a, in a structured environment where I was tracking it, but I was using like pen and paper. When it came to my own life, I found the joy of walking again by really going for this 10,000 steps per day. And I realized I wasn't even getting close to 10,000. I just assumed that because I was going to the gym, I was getting enough exercise. But the real radical data point that not a lot of people talk about when it comes to wearables is your time sedentary versus your time active. Time sedentary versus time active, I believe, across the board, if you look at blue zones, if you look at any kind of diet or lifestyle program, they all have what I like to call movement snacks. And I got that phrase from Dan Party, who is the founder of HumanOS, which is another tech company, it would be a fascinating guest for you to talk to. And it's somebody that really believes that our body was meant to move often, but not for too long. You know, taking a quick movement break for three minutes and having your wearable remind you, reinforcing that positive feedback loop in your brain. These are the kind of things that will really help people achieve health and wellness for the long haul, right? This sustainable change. I think I went down a major uh, lane right there, but it was exciting to go down. I hope everyone stayed with us. <laughs> I love the whole idea of movement <laughs> snacks. I mean, <laughs> and the thing is when you, you know, for us that right now are healthy and, and feeling fine, it may sound something that's sort of like, oh, well, that would be nice to do. But there's been periods in my life and, and I'm sure there's been periods in yours as well where, yeah. you know, just that little bit of a movement snack is enough to keep you going and, and actually to stimulate the serotonin and the dopamine that needs to happen just to get your body going and get your brain thinking positively. So movement snacks from all different perspectives, sometimes it's enough cumulatively to get you to those 10,000 steps, but in other cases, sometimes it just gets you off the couch. Yeah, it's just a physiology. It's a, it's a state change, right? So Tony Robbins, he does a cold plunge or he does a uh, lymphatic jumping series on the, on the little trampoline he has. 
I think we all deserve a state change every hour or two. We just deserve that. I mean, that's what we're wired for, right? There's basic physiological things that we need, sleeping, water, movement's one of them. If we don't give our body these snacks that it needs, and I don't mean like snacks like cookies, I mean, we got to have movement throughout the day. So something I've been focused on for a long time now is just move throughout the day. People that might exercise for one hour and then sit for 12, you're not going to get away from the deleterious aspects of being that of that inactive, of that sedentary. It's just not going to happen. If you look at the data and if you really understand the meta-analysis from the different diets that are across the world in these blue zones, I'm sure you've uh, heard of blue zones. Maybe you've even studied blue zones. You know, people that live in Icaria, Greece, and people that live in Alta Loma, California, and Sardinia, and um, in Japan as well. These areas, they not only have social interaction, but they have movement throughout their day. That's one of the key pieces of the diet. Now, it doesn't have anything to do with food, but you're nourishing that emotional piece of yourself, that physiological piece of yourself that doesn't always involve you chewing. It's just as important. It's just as important to track uh, and to be mindful about. So what's your favorite movement snack? I love push-ups lately. I've I've been doing push-ups because I'll do 15 at a time. And I also love bodyweight squats, bodyweight squats and pushups. I, I have done so much. It's funny, before you and I recorded, we were saying, you know, how much work you've done in academia and, and you know, being an author and then all the things I've learned over the past 14 years. I, it really comes down to just typically a handful of things done really well on a consistent basis. And for me, pushups, bodyweight squats, some type of core movement and pull-ups, if you make that your life, and then you include walking in there and occasional sprinting, you'll never have to use a gym. You'll never have to worry about what your exercise program looks like if you just do those pillars, because those are the big things that we all need in life, which is core strength and pulling and pushing strength and the ability to do level changing. Those are the ones. Uh, and there's many ways that, that people talk about it and try to package it differently. But I think that if you have those pillars strong and if you're doing those things well, then the rest of your life will look pretty great from a movement perspective. That's great recommendation. And for those of you that can't do those, whether it's limitations from joints or, or things like that, because, yeah. you know, let's face it, sometimes that those, those things are issues. Find the thing that your body can do. So it's not necessarily saying, you know, these are the only options. But I think there's so many great ways to modify so that you are able to do what, you know, what you get the same result from. Yeah. But you don't necessarily have to do that same thing. So. And you can always modify. I mean, if, if you can't do push-ups, you can't do a squat. There are ways around it. You know, you can do kneeling push-ups. You can do a, wrap a band around your foot and do pull-ups that way. If you can't do a squat, then grab the side of a chair. There's always a way. I think our mind is so intelligent that it always wants to go the path of least resistance. You know, the brain's a really energy-hungry organ. It's also wants efficiency. But efficiency always doesn't lead to our best growth. And this is what I've found. Yeah, so you do a lot of work in sort of the wellness for space. You know, how do people find you and what kind of work can they do with you? So people, people that come to Wellness Force come to learn about our physical and emotional intelligence. I was a fitness pro for 10 years, so I have that to lean on. And then I did online coaching for three years. But over the past year, I haven't coached anyone. And we're in the process of building programs right now where we can systematize all this stuff that we're talking about. Really, it's about eating, moving, and sleeping. If we can do those things well, really well, there's a lot of subcategories underneath those. Then from the physical perspective, that's all we really need to do in life is do those things really well. 
And then also from an emotional perspective, you know, people come to Wellness Force to learn about emotional intelligence. It's how do our thoughts, feelings, and actions affect us over the grand scheme? For combining those six pillars, I think, has been the most efficient way, I believe, to really take all the information that's out there, Heidi. We're in an age of over-information. And so if we can just start to simplify and figure out what are the most important things to do, it, it truly is the eating, moving, and the sleeping, and, and our relationship with our thoughts and feelings and actions. Those are the things that people come to Wellness Force for, and it's been, gosh, you know, I actually sometimes think about what would it be like to work with clients again, but I think now I'm really excited about building programs so we can help more than just one person at a time. Obviously, that's the reason you wrote a book, right? So that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people would read it. So I think if we can create as much change with Wellness Force that I know is possible, then by the end of this year, we'll have reached over a million people and we'll really understand the feedback that they're giving us about, well, what are the other tools that they need? And what are the other programs that we can create for them so that we can continue, Heidi? I guess that's yeah. the real differenti differentiation about Wellness Force. It's not about getting to the end because at the end we die. It's about how do we discover more intelligence along the way? How do we treat this thing with humility and not so much ego, but also have fun and enjoy the process? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and amen to that. I mean, enjoying the process is so key and we get so caught up in the other pieces that sometimes that part gets lost. You know, I'm, I'm curious, I mean, you talk about reaching a larger audience and making this stuff more accessible because I think that's so much needed. A lot of people choose either or. They want to do the, you know, diet and exercise, but or yeah. they want to do some personal work on sort of meditation and mindfulness. But to put those two pieces or three pieces together ultimately to, to take care of the whole being is so important. And I just really honor you for, for pulling all those pieces together. I'm curious, Thanks. because there's so many great technologies out there, have yeah. you ever considered using or encouraging people to use some some sort of technology or devices to build more awareness and sort of have a cumulative group awareness of what's happening with their bodies and their minds? Yeah, it's funny because I took your test in the book and I'm a, I'm a curious technology user. So I just always let my curiosity be the guide. And when it comes to restoration and really recharging, I think that meditation, whether it's an app like Calm or even a headset that you wear like the Muse, it's a way not only for a personality type like mine, which is somebody that loves the tracking. I do really, I'm an obliger personality. So I do really well with these external frameworks of accountability. And we're about 60% of the population if you look at the work of Gretchen Rubin. So just understanding that if we have something outside of ourselves that'll allow us to continue on in our motivation using an application like a Calm or having something that you can really check into on a daily basis like a meditation headband, I think that's the way that technology can be a really strong, powerful motivator on a continuous basis. I've also seen, um, I used to do some work with a company called Nudge Coach. And Nudge Coach did an app where it pulled in any wearables data from any device and it would put it on a dashboard for coaches. And so when I did online coaching, I used Nudge Coach. I was one of the first people in 2013, 2014 to really start seeing, wow, the clients are out of the gym for, you know, 160 plus hours every week. What are they actually doing? 
Do they even know what they're doing? Do I know? No one knows what's going on. They come back in, you know, two and three hours a week. And so it's like, hi, Mrs. Smith, how was your, how was your vacation? What did you do? And have you been eating well? How's your diet been? And you know what she's going to say nine times out of 10 is, I don't know. I kind of forgot. I've been so busy. (laughs) And so that's where, because we're in this age of the double-edged sword, this technology has become just such a killer of human connection. But on the other side, it can actually connect us. I mean, you and I are talking on technology right now. Well, the same thing comes with our habits around wellness. You can either be a victim to technology and just be like, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed. I have so many meetings and I don't know what to do. You can also choose in that moment of duality to take a breath and use technology to stack your environment in your favor. You can have reminders. You can have movement breaks. You can use your computer to help you get off of it. You can set up time allocation resources. You know, you can use things like rescue time. You can use apps like Evernote. You can do all these things to save you time, which in the time you save, you then can use that time to breathe more, to love more, to connect more, to do all these things that are so important right now in this age of just complete and total over information. We're in this digital area where, you know, before it was the industrial revolution. And now we still have like this tree that are connected to the industrial revolution, but now we're in the technological revolution. And you and I happen to live in this time where they're, they're being pulled apart, aren't they? Right? We went from automation and, and people in factories and people having to do physical manual labor. And now we're in this era of everyone's on their computer 24-7 because our computers in our pocket are more powerful than the first spaceship, way more powerful than the first spaceship that went into the, into the, uh, the stratosphere. So I think we just live in this incredible time and it's just uh, remembering to breathe is probably the most important thing. I think if there's one piece uh, about how technology can help us, it's anything at all, whether it's a Spire device, whether it's a Muse, whether it's a reminder on my phone, if I can just remember to breathe and, and technology can help me do that, everything else in my life is going to get better. My relationships, work, all of it. That's one of my favorite parts of your podcast, actually, is the breathing moment. So it's like, oh, yeah, of course, I need to do that. That's it's just an awesome thing. <laughs> it's the first time somebody's told me to take a deep breath today, right? And, the, and now that's, you know, a podcast is technology as well. Can you imagine if your parents or your grandparents had podcasts when they grew up? I mean, how much more intelligent would they be? Not that they weren't intelligent, but they'd be so much. We all have more tools to get smarter. Well, they, I mean, they had the radio, of course. and But it's just now we have so many more choices we can follow our curiosity. Yeah. We can go down those rabbit holes, and some of them are rabbit holes, but some of them are inspiration for exactly what we needed. I mean, if you've ever done research on anything, you find that sometimes the rabbit holes are where those just miraculous pieces that you never would have found are discovered. Now, you have to be very aware. It's about being mindful about going down the rabbit holes and allowing a certain yeah. amount of time so that you don't the rabbit hole doesn't become sort of your main purpose and you you know you're veering away from your original vision but there's just so much more available to us to be able to explore and really understand you want to know breath you want to know about ketogenics you want to know whatever it is yeah you can find out about it yeah. And you bring up such a, a great point too, because I love that this, we're talking about evolving ourselves, evolving the digital self. When I think about like the true digital self, there are things in place right now that we are going to shock the public so much. When you look at Elon Musk and the neural lace, and you look at the work of Peter Diamandis and the XPRIZE and everything he's doing with his Longevity Institute, the technology that's coming is in a way going to frighten people, but it's also going to empower people. And so I can't think of a more 
incredibly unique time to be alive to really evolve our relationship with technology and understand ourselves. Because in my opinion, I think that just like what was happening in the Netflix series, Black Mirror, I think we will have a digital self. I think ourselves in the, in possibly our lifetimes will be able to be completely downloaded and systematized and put into a different construct. I do think that's possible. I do think that's coming. So I think it's really important for us right now to have conversations like this where we're not so anti-technology because it's here. It's not going anywhere. And so the best thing we can do is learn how to integrate, learn how to work with it properly so that it doesn't make us a victim. Uh, and the only way we're not going to become a victim is if we continue this narrative, we continue this dialogue. Because the, when the conversations stop, well, technology is going to find the shortest path to A and B, and that includes us not connecting. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I always talk about sort of you, you need to evolve or be left behind. In the, same, in the same vein, you have someone like Brian Solis who talks about digital Darwinism. It's, it's ultimately we need to be conscious about where things are evolving. And, and it's up to us to decide. It's up to us to be uh, accountable for our actions. If we choose to spend our entire day with our nose in our device, that's not the device's fault. That's our decision to sit yeah. there. And I mean, you can actually break that pattern, but it's a, a question of being accountable and being, you know, being very clear on designing the way that you go through your day, the way that you move through your life, accountability is something we're not very good at these days, I think. Because I think we're running on old software ourselves. We are living in this age where software is updated, you know, from the cloud, from the sky around us every two weeks. It's getting new software every two weeks, every two weeks. You and I are running on the same software within a fraction of 1% that we were running off of 10,000 years ago. And so the way that our amygdala and the way that our limbic circuitry is formed in our brain, we are so cavemen and cavewomen, yet we're all running around like we have it all figured out, wearing our business suits and pretending that we're making such an impact when really we're still trying to figure it out. We're all still trying to figure out what is this relationship with technology? What does this really mean to our digital self? And how can we respect the beast, this meat suit that we live in, and also embrace the technology as we move forward? I think this is going to be a compelling question for the next five to 10 years, specifically when, when AI and augmented reality they start integrating so much into social media and Facebook actually just came out with a new update where, you know, if you look at some of the work of Scott Galloway from L2, he advises a lot of companies in the Fortune 500 area. And what he's saying is that in Silicon Valley, the, they, there needs to be a poster boy to be singled out that technology companies are going to be deconstructed here in the next two or three years. And so Zuckerberg is being kind of his fingers are being pointed at Zuckerberg right now. And so I think because of that, there was an update to Facebook recently where now they're putting in a certain higher number of percentage of families and friends stories in the feed and less advertisements. Now, some people might say, well, they're doing that because they're going to have friends and families stuff seen more. So that means that advertisers will have to pay more to penetrate the feed. So it could be either a response to technology becoming too addictive or it could be a way to, for them to make more money. I think time will tell. But the, the answer is pretty clear that uh, technology can be addictive, especially social media. I think if we're buried in the phone, it's typically going to be on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn. These big horsemen that have taken over our feed, our attention, it's a real threat. And it's something that deserves respect and attention because if we're not proactive and teaching our kids in schools or even adults in companies how to have this healthy relationship with technology, which is a lot of the work that you do, if there's not that conversation proactively, then if we wait 
wait till people figure it out on their own. Well, guess what? They're not because they're running on that old software that you and I talked about. Absolutely. And I think that that's, you bring up a really important element of just really, there's a teaching component that's not built into whether it's the education system, whether it's we as, me as a parent, I know you're you're not quite there yet, but as a parent, when my kids were small, there wasn't any rule book or there wasn't any sort of mentors or experience from how do we you know, how do you integrate technology into your children's lives? And when is it good? When is it not? We moved from Sweden to the U.S. when our kids were in middle school. And there you had, in Sweden, they, they had been using phones. They had their own smartphones already for three years because they were using them to get on the bus to, you know, everything. It wasn't just the phone call, but they yeah. that's what they used to do everything. And, you know, they came here and their peers, most of them didn't have phones yet. They were too young. But they just had a different relationship with technology. They also used it, you know, because we were expats living abroad, they used it as a tool to stay in touch with their friends and family in other places where, you know, for kids that don't really have a network that goes outside of their local community, that's not as high a priority. So it's a very different dynamic and need that needs to be fulfilled. But I think understanding where that comes in and really recognizing where that power is and building a respect and appreciation for the gift that it gives us, but also the importance of balance so that it doesn't overwhelm our lives and doesn't become the thing. It just becomes something to augment us and our things. I love the fact that you mentioned the word balance because I'd like to make it plural and say my, my life has been this constant evolution of how do I continue in my balancing process of this digital self and my human self and how do I balance all of these things that are happening really just cascading into one another all the time, it feels like. And I know I speak for a lot of people that are listening that have more now to do than they've ever had and their schedules are more full now than they've ever been. And there is a way for you to take that breath and to use it to your advantage, whether it is scheduling software and whatnot. But I also think that's what's most important too, is if you're scheduling your work and if you're scheduling your productivity to remember to schedule, and I mean physically type it into your calendar. Don't go away from this. This is like a one point where when I work with clients, this made all the difference in the world. Schedule in your play, schedule in your connection with your spouse, schedule in taking the kids out out on the weekend, put it in your calendar. Let me ask you this. You think that by having less discipline or less structure in your calendar that it's going to provide you more freedom? No. The paradox is, is that the more structure you have in your calendar, because you have so much going on, the more freedom you're going to have, the less decision fatigue you're going to have, because then you won't have to battle inside of your brain of, well, I know I told the kids I would take them at 10 to soccer, or I know we were going to go get food at 12, but you know, I'd really like to have more freedom today. No, because then you're going to have to have that conversation with your kids and yourself about how you're not able to keep your promise now. And what is it really? It's really because you wanted more freedom, but the paradox is that you didn't set up your schedule proactively for you to have it. And so that I believe is probably if if people are going to do one thing from our conversation today, schedule in your connection, schedule in your love, schedule it in your calendar, use that digital calendar so that it reminds you that it's time to connect with other people in the same way that you'd schedule it for work. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's uh, and it's so important and it's something that's so easily forgotten. You know, we just we get so busy feeling like busy is what we should be that we forget that break time And thinking time, whether it's like 
taking a shower. It's like some of the most brilliant thoughts usually come from when you're driving <laughs> by yourself or sitting in the back. Good songs too. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> you're totally right. You got to schedule time for yeah. pause to give your brain a chance to give, you know, to have a relationship with you and with your loved ones. So I, I love that. And, and, and included in that is something that I love to remind my friends about so that it reminds myself, but it really ties into your work is prioritizing wellness, not as something that is a guilty pleasure, but rather yeah. something that's essential for your business, for your family. If you don't take care of yourself, everything else falls apart. Yeah. And I, I can think of a moment where when I was, I'm 37 now, when I was in my late twenties, I thought, Oh my gosh, I'll never have an issue gaining weight again. I'll never have an issue with that again. Cause when I was growing up, I didn't have a family structure that taught a lot about psychological or physiological tools to meet the modern world. And so, you know, to no surprise with a lack of education when I was young, by the time I was 21, I was 280 pounds. I was in this job I didn't want to be in and I was in a relationship that I didn't like. And so everything wasn't working for me. I went through a lot of different growth thresholds and emotional intelligence training and moving and becoming a fitness pro. But at the end of the day, I realized that it really boiled down to what story am I telling myself? What is my internal narrative about what's possible now? And I, I, the reason I'm telling you that backstory is because one of the people that really affected me was uh, a gentleman, Craig Ballantyne, and he wrote a book called the perfect day formula. And in this book, he unpacked how we all go through seasons in life. And so regardless of what story you're telling yourself about what's possible, you also have to understand that if you're growing a business or if you're a new mom or a new father, or if you're in uh, you know, a cold climate and the winter is really drastic and really long, we all go through seasons in life. And part of understanding that we have a goal, whether it's physical or whether it's you know, productivity related, it's okay to let yourself be in a season as well. Having that compassion piece, having that understanding piece, having that self-narrative around, I know that I want A, B, and C to happen at this specific date, but not beating yourself up if it doesn't happen by that date and continuing to move forward. I think this striving for constant year-over-year -year growth that the capitalistic model has shown us, it's not sustainable. If you look at anything in nature, every tree grows and dies at some point. And so we are going to, in our lifetime, whether it's digital currency or something else, the capitalistic model will shift. Capitalism is not perfect. It is. It can be really incredible. Yet I just feel like the long-winded answer to, your, to what we were talking about is self-awareness is a process. It's an imperfect process. And we get to constantly be open to what can allow us to live our life with less stress, be more connected, and just have 15% less on a year-by-year -year basis of stress. I think that's really what it is. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. And I think one thing you, you alluded to, maybe not saying it outright, was but having forgiveness for ourselves and just appreciation for, you know, being here and being, you know, being able to engage in whatever level you can engage at the time. And it's not to just constantly beat yourself up that you're not at that ultra high performance level 24-7 because no yeah. one's capable of that and it's not healthy. So it's sort of just being grateful for the bodies, you know, what did you call it? The, the uh, meat, uh, the meat suit. Yes. Meat we're, suit. we're all, we're in, <laughs> you know, just being grateful yeah. that, that that thing is, is there and it, getting connected to it, but also recognizing that there's a consciousness about that, that you have control yeah. over the meat suit. Yes. And I think one piece that I forgot to mention was that, you know, here I am 10 years later and I'm in the wellness field. And as I've driven forward and, and, and having this business be paramount, I've noticed that it's become incredibly much more challenging to 
have the body composition that I might want to have because the demands are greater on me now than they were when I was in my late 20s and my hormonal patterns have changed because people don't necessarily put enough time into this, especially if we understand biomarkers, you know, having a yearly biomarker panel done where it can show you how you're actually living from a intrinsic perspective and, and understanding all these values. There is something to be said about it's going to be more challenging as life moves forward if the odds are not stacked in your favor. And this is what I found. Uh, so 37 now, the composition I have now is if you would have asked me at 27 that at 37, my life would look like this and, you know, it would be this hard to have my body and my physiology look the way I wanted to look. I would have laughed at you. I would have said, no way. I have it all figured out. But guess what's coming? All these unexpected things that you never knew were going to happen. And so the, the to kind of round this out here, understanding that your life is this a really vastly changing continuum all the time and to just do your best at every given moment and allow technology to help you do that. And I think we're in a great time to have technology support us in that regard because without mindfulness, nothing really happens if we're not mindful. No, absolutely. Do you have any fun or interesting tools? You mentioned a couple earlier, but any apps or things that you use to help you be more mindful or uh, meditation practice or anything like that? (laughs) You know what? In the office, I have the Juve light. It's photobiomodulation. And I actually do meditation uh, with a stool. And I do it naked because the photobiomodulation applied directly on the front portion of the body, especially uh, to the genital area. They can raise testosterone for men. And so I've been doing that in the mornings and then I wear my muse. So it, it's so funny. I almost look like a like an ad for technology. If you were to come to my house in the morning, I'm wearing a meditation headband from Muse. I'm doing a naked seated meditation in front of a photo biomodulation light. And then I also check my aura for my sleep score to see like what I'm doing, you know, from the, the previous night and if I need to adjust anything. So there's like three touch points with technology in the morning before I really do anything else. But I know that I'm doing it because they are going to support me and prop me up towards everything else that I want to accomplish in that day. And so I'm using the, you know, we talked about tech being the two sides of the sword. I know that I'm going to come across the side I don't want all day long. We all are. But how can I use the side that supports me to really make it happen for myself and be healthy? And I think that's, that's the best way to do it first thing in the morning. I'm just having sort of a visual in my mind of, of you sitting naked in front of your lamp with the muse on. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> it is great. And it warms me up too. Photobiomodulation. Well, sounds great. I mean, so in your last podcast, I can't remember the name of it, but he was talking about the different animal characteristics that based on, on your timing and your, your body's bio clock. Yeah. Um, and you had said that you were a bear and I was like, oh, I'm totally a bear which is sort of your, you go based on, you know, when the sun is up and when, you know, when it's dark. So I get into hibernation mode in the winter, but I also think I'm more like a dolphin also because I never sleep very deeply. And I don't know whether that's just a maternal instinct or I'm always, you know, I, I can wake up really easily. Well, I think we contrast the seasons with our chronotypes. You know, the Nobel Prize last year, two scientists studied fruit flies and they really found that their internal biological clock was wired and they were actually able to extrapolate it and prove it through data with the sun, the waking and sleeping cycles of the sun, the circadian alignment, as they call it. And so for people that are curious about what is my chronotype, I think you can go to that. What's my chronotype dot com or just Google Dr. Michael Bruce, because 
understanding who you are, if you're a shift worker and you're not wired for that, you are killing yourself. Mm -hmm. Now, if you are, that's fine. There's a subset of the population that can do that effectively. But really knowing what's the best time for you to do anything, what's the best time for you to sleep, what's the best time for you to eat, what's the best time for you to have sex. All of these things are really important. And so it's just this path of self-discovery. It's the discovering through chronotypes. Um, that was fascinating to me. And I, I do think I'm a bear because I like to go a little slow in the morning. I don't like to get up at five and go right to a CrossFit workout or push my body really hard. My body's still secreting melatonin at that time anyways. So um, I, I like to live my life more like a bear. Slow to anger, you know, quick to respond. That's how I like to live. <laughs> Sounds good. And so it actually works really well for you because you're down in Southern California. So you don't have big shifts in the length of the day, I guess. If you were living yeah. in uh, Sweden or Alaska, that might be a little tough. <laughs> yeah, Alaska, you you could have nights that last for days, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it was in Sweden. Not so not so great for a bear. Well, no, not a good bear. No, bears don't do well in that environment. <laughs> that's why I moved to California. This has been such a joy speaking with you, and I could go on for hours, but I know that our guests probably don't have hours. And we, we also want to have you come back and share more as time goes on. So before we wrap it up, I would love to hear what your thoughts are on where you see things going in terms of the wellness and technology space in the next five years. What would you like to see? What would I like to see without any blockage of this growth and without any limitations? What I would love to see is a society, a global society that is more connected to the fact that we are all sharing the same breath. We're all sharing the same world without getting into the kumbaya. I think that technology is a human imagination tool. It came from our imagination. Our iPhones came from someone's imagination. The computer we're on came from someone's imagination. And so it's so easy in our current world to get lost in analytical thought and to have everything be logic driven, you know, all head and no heart. And what I would like to see in the next five years is that technology starts opening up our hearts and starts reminding us to connect to one another, not just more, but at a level where there can be more trust in our society. We can elect the right leaders in our society that don't do damage to our relationships across the world. We can have real conversations because we've carved out the time through the use of technology to have those conversations. And so what I think it might look like is having the dream biomarker dashboard where all of our eating and moving and sleeping and our blood and our sweat and everything that we're doing, everything that comes out of our body is monitored in some way. And it's all fed to the cloud and it's given actionable coaching back to us through our own personal artificial intelligent robot. And I think that's what's coming and I think what that's going to do for us is a few things. Number one, we have to keep it safe. We can't allow that data to be you know, harnessed and sold to all these companies that are just going to sell more shoes and athletic equipment. But I believe that if we do put that in a safe storage and we all have our own individual robot that can help us live the best life possible, then we're going to have more time to breathe. And when we have more time to breathe. We're going to have greater thoughts that are really reminding us that we truly are connected. So as digital technology comes really to a fulcrum, you know, Moore's law is going to continue to go on every single, every two years. I think the most important thing in the next five years that I'm most excited about would be, can we have that dashboard that gives us time and energy back? And then what are we willing to do with that time and energy? Are we willing to connect with other people and take better care of ourselves? Because that truly is, you know, time is all we get. That's all we get in this world. And so in five years, if we can have a dashboard that gives us more time, 
gives us our time back, then, you know, that's worth more than any dollar ever spent. Wonderful. And I think, you know, as I'm listening to you, it's really about presence and being very present with the people and, and with the fact that we are part of a greater system. And so the metadata that can come out of that to help us really understand global health, it's not just that AI helping the individual, but it becomes something that's part of something much bigger. So beautiful thoughts, and, and I, I really you know, honor you for the work that you're doing towards making something like that happen and helping people become more emotionally intelligent and just connected to what's happening there with their bodies and with their ability to be part of the bigger world. Thank you so much for joining us today, Josh. This is such a treat to, to see you, as always. And I look forward to having you back at some time. But for now, I just want to say thank you with all my heart and express my gratitude for your joining us today. Well, I totally received that. And thanks for having me on. And, you know, in the future, there's going to be a lot of great things to talk about, isn't there? You're never going to have a lack of topics on evolving digital self. I mean, it's going to continue to evolve. So thanks for having me. My pleasure. So for all of you out there, thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of the great upcoming episodes. We've got some really fun interviews coming up that I wouldn't want you to miss. And uh, we'd love to get your feedback on with rating and reviews so that we understand what your interests are and how we can serve you better. So thank you for joining us today and bye-bye for now. Thank you for joining us for the Evolving Digital Self. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app now so that you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, please give us a rating and a review and join the digital self-mastery movement to create more conscious use of technology by sharing it and telling your friends. Want to see where you fit on the digital self spectrum and how it might be impacting your business and relationships? Get your free copy of Digital Self Mastery today by clicking on the link in the show notes.